something that every nurse should be thinking about or doing when it comes to critically assessing their patient in a emergent situation is just know your ABCs, mm. airway, breathing, and circulation. You can start with those and see how they're doing to prevent things from going into a emergent situation. Ooh, I gotta go. Hey. I've been working, told them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. I swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day, now my fan they can't eat. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. We are the couple nurses, your hosts. Peter and Matt here, two nurses on a mission to change the world. Thank you everyone for listening to us and tuning in on today's episode. Throughout the show, if you find any value in this podcast, go ahead and smack the five stars on Spotify or Apple or subscribe to our channel. Give this video a like slash audio experience. You have no idea how much it means to us. Once we see all these good comments, the downloads keep on increasing, and this ultimately boosts us in the algorithm in the search rankings, and it motivates us to keep on producing this high-quality content. So thank you for your time. Cupofnurses.com has everything when it comes to show notes, anything related to what we're doing, the show, the vlogs, you name it, it's on there. And we are Frontline Warriors.com has all the consciousness movement that we're starting that's going to be beginning that we're trying to change the world in a different way, multiple missions. We're actually wearing the merch for Frontline Warriors. Pete's wearing the Be Well. I'm wearing the RN right now. You can find it on those shops. And if you want the other merch, cupofnurses.shop. And the last little project they're working on, big project, Pronto. We're trying to innovate and change healthcare for the better and healthcare employment. So stay tuned for that. It's coming very, very soon. And yeah, let the show begin. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, Matt. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about three things every nurse should know. Basic medications, how to give report, and what to do in certain certain emergent situations. So there's a lot of units in a hospital. Some of these these skills you're going to use more often than than others, uh, depending on where you work and what you do. But we devise like these top three things that I believe fit in majority of every unit or every every category. Yeah, I like to start with the first one, and that's med- medications. Just like you mentioned, those are the basics. RN stands for refreshments and narcotics, so you should know the basics of what medications you're giving, at least a uh, decent background to know the meds, what you're giving. Maybe it's a new med that you're on a unit that you're not familiar with, if it's a chemo med or something for gain beret, Mm -hmm. go ahead and click the mar there or the little icon where you could read more about it just to kind of familiarize yourself with with what you're giving to the patient. That's more empowering, and, and ultimately you should know what you're giving to the patient because they're probably going to be asking about your side effects, which is like taped onto every single cart on the on the unit, someplace that we work that. All right. And don't expect to know every med. Like we've been doing this for five years, maybe over five years now or somewhere around that, that area, and I still look up meds all the time, especially if I flow from ISU to like med surge or oncology. I'm always looking at meds because, first of all, I'm not sure what the meds even do. So when I give the patient medication and they ask me a question, um, I don't want to be like, oh, I don't know. Because then it's just like, okay, if you know what the medication does, why are you giving this medication if you're not sure how to understand it? So like the one of the things to always keep in mind, because I feel like, for example, narcotics and morphine are 
basically used throughout the whole hospital. And they realized that you might have some respiratory, respiratory depression uh, with that. It's not only, uh, the, doesn't only decrease pain, it also decreases respiratory rate. So if your patient becomes apneic or breathes like eight or 10 or, you know, uh, something below the, the range of 16, like that we always chart, then, uh, you know, be like, realize that, hey, you give them this medication and this is why, why it's causing it. So don't be super freaked out. Like, I feel like narcotics are like the golden standard because you brought up refreshments and narcotics. So realize that if you give them narco, oxy, morphine, Dilaudid, it's going to depress their rest her rate. And it could reach that that rate where it's very dangerous. So we might need to reverse that with like Narcan, for example. Um, if they're on, on, on opioids, so just be mindful of that, but realize that each class of medication is, go, is going to have its general, uh, you could say, class of, of side effects that are, you're probably going to see. Yeah, and one of the ones that are very important, this is more for ERICU, but you should still be aware of them, knowing when you get your RT called and what happens in that chain is your pressors, medications that you mostly see on those two units, just like I mentioned, and just know that, hey, if there's hypotension going on, you gave your patient some fluids, maybe you gave them some albumin, nothing is working, the MAPs are under 65, we need to transition into constricting their vasculature so the pump is working well, the pipes are smaller, there's more fluid, the blood pressure goes up, and we could help all their organs circulate. Mm. Have you, you don't got to familiarize yourself with like all these different vasopressors like neo, uh, vaso, uh, dopamine. Just remember levofed. Uh, that's your norepinephrine. That's like the golden standard one. That's usually the first line that we put patients on. And don't be scared of it. And just be careful when you use it because like I mentioned, majority of the time you can use it is like ER, ICU. But sometimes if you're on the floor and you call rapid, you still should be doing things for your patient, you shouldn't just be waiting for the rapid team. And a physician might just put an order in for a levofed at, you know, um, five mics or whatever uh, the, the order order states. And you could wait for rapid team, but if you feel confident enough, you should hang it, program the pump, and already start treating the, the, the patient's issue. That's always a good thing to have. Like, especially on the floor, most of the time, the rapid response team is going to get there in time and do all this for you. But still, just, just in case, just to... Um, like you could say, make your patient care a little more safer. Familiarize yourself with levofed. Uh, see the concentration. Check out how how to program it in your pump because it might come a time where you might need to use it or you might have the ability to use it. And instead of not knowing how to use it and not utilizing it, you now know how to use it and you're utilizing it. And you're maybe giving the patient a better chance at seeing tomorrow. So just like, just one. You got to remember one. Just levofed. That's the only one you got to remember because that's the main one. Another way we treat hypotension is with fluids, but if you work in like a cardiac ICU or a unit that's heart failure where you don't want to overload the, the patient, uh, fluids isn't always an option. But a lot of times vasopressors are an option like levofed, but you got to be careful because the patient is, is really dry and they really need fluids, but you give them the vasopressors, uh, you got to be careful because it could cause your vessels to clamp down and actually put them into cardiac arrest. I remember this. I knew this from like working staff, but I remembered that when we were in Oakland, our travel nurse friend Ping uh, had an issue because he knew the patient needed fluids and he asked doctor for fluids, but uh, they gave him pressors anyways, but he was intervascularly dry. So the pressures, the press, pressors are still going to do their effect regardless, but there was not enough volume to squeeze anything. So it squeezes its heart so, ha so hard that uh, he went to cardiac arrest 
because he needed fluids instead of the, the pressors, which is crazy. So just be careful with that. Antihypertensives are another basic medication and drug class that you should know. Things like metoprolol, hydralazine, nicardipine, and just kind of understand what every single one does and understand what, what kind of interventions you should be doing or looking out for. For example, if you're giving low pressure, which is a beta blocker, what is the patient's heart rate before I'm giving that medication? Is it less than 60? Maybe I should hold it. Let's get a set of vitals before I give that medication just so I don't bottom up my patient mm. uh, way too fast. So just things to be cognizant of that just makes you an overall a better nurse. And just like Pete said, with time, you're going to start developing that critical thinking skills and knowing what you should be doing for every single med. Just like Haldol, right? Mm. It's not talked a lot about, but hey, if you're on a telefloor, what is the QT ratio or the QT interval because it's QTC. going to QTC because mm-hmm. it's going to prolong. So just knowing meds and what they do, you're just going to become more competent. And ultimately, when you're talking to doctors, you're going to be a lot more confident because you already know what you're talking about versus, hey, there's a schedule metoprolol. Maybe I have to call a doctor about it. You're going to be a lot more confident telling them the, the steps that you took and this is why we should hold that med. Mm-hmm. And he's going to trust you versus you feeling you're st- stepping on somebody's toes, you're talking with the lack of confidence and doctor is going to question you and he's not questioning you as if you're saying something wrong. He just doesn't hear the confidence. So he wants to make sure that he's making the right choice because mm. ultimately then now his license is on the line. Mm. Yeah, very, very good points. And kind of know the difference between uh, metoprolol tartate and metoprolol succinate because sometimes, especially if... If as a nurse, you're just getting verbal orders or calling physicians and you don't want to actually put any orders in, you got to make sure these orders are, are right. So the one thing I want to mention is I feel like a lot of nurses don't know the difference between low pressure, which is also called metoprolol tartrate, and then metoprolol succinate. So in hospital, uh, if you're pushing it IV-wise or if you're giving it PRN or even scheduled, it's your low pressure, your, your tartrate. And we use that one because that's a quick acting and doesn't last as long because when patients go home and they go on beta blockers metoprolol they don't usually go home on the low pressure version they go on a succinate version because it has longer effects because the metoprolol tartrate uh, that one you guys schedule more often like q4 versus a succinate where you might be able to get away with once or, or or twice a day so just know the know the um difference between those because i know when i was working at in, uh, in illinois um I didn't know what the difference between them, so I wasn't always sure which one the physician wanted to order. But then I learned by asking questions that low pressure, the tartrate, that's the emerging one. That's the one you give more often and more frequently, and that's the one you're going to usually order in a hospital. And that's the one you should order more often than, than a succinate. Succinate is when you're ready to go home and you want to just have like mild blood pressure control. So always keep that in mind, tartrate versus uh, succinate. Hydralazine is another great antihypertensive to know it's a vasodilator it's primarily used for heart failure what it does it uh, decreases the vascular resistance around the peripherals and affects primarily the arteries what happens is you have a decreased blood pressure decreased peripheral resistance which in return has this reflexive reflexivity of increased uh, heart rate it has um, helps with cardiac output and stroke volume and one thing to look out for with that medication is if you have coronary artery disease, be careful because it might increase cardiac output, which in return, patient might develop myocardial ischemia or they might have a little bit of angina mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. 
Another one that you should keep in mind is your calcium channel blockers. Uh, the most common one that I've worked with, just not in this hospital for some reason, but everywhere else, uh, is, is nicardipine. So they work by preventing calcium from entering the cell uh, of the heart and arteries. So basically it does, does the same stuff as all your other uh, anti-hypertensives. Um, it relaxes the vessels and keeps them, keeps them opened. So the one thing to keep in mind is that nicardipine is usually given, it's only given IV. And usually it's a titrate motor medication. So let's just say you're pushing um, hydrolyzing Q2 and a patient's blood pressure isn't going down or you're having a stroke patient where you have to uh, critically uh, keep track of the patient's blood pressure and you may have a narrow range of what you can work with. Cardine is a, is a really, really good thing because it's continuous, uh, it's IV, and you're titratable. So if your blood pressure is high, you just increase the dose and um, you give more medication to the patient and it brings down their blood pressure. So this is something that we use for like hypertensive crisis, um, things that, that require strict blood pressure management. I think this is the most common one, except for this hospital, we don't use the carpet, we use something else. And I've never seen- All the, the white milky stuff. Yeah, we've never seen, I've ne never seen that used anywhere else, but. I thought the gold standard was always nicardipine, and that's literally everywhere we worked. Oakland, nicardipine, Santa Monica, Pasadena, nicardipine, Austin was nicardipine as well. Yeah, that medication lasts a little bit longer, which is nice, where if you're using nicardipine and you're running at 75 mLs an hour, the bag is running out mm -hmm. pretty quick. And yeah. with this medication, it's just like propofol, actually, where you have to switch to tubing every 12 hours. Mm -hmm. One thing that I realized that somebody messaged us on Facebook about is... It sucks that nurses don't have a lot of autonomy mm. when it comes to the floors and telly where they can't do the smallest things like maybe start a nitro drip or low dose nicardipine and everything is else. Everything is just escalated to DOU and like ICU and step down mm. and all that where the fundamental basics that you're learning as a nurse, like in nursing school, you're not even utilizing those skills and those those critical thinking skills as a nurse in these lower tertiary units mm -hmm. yeah which is not something that should be done but i understand that it's like a safety thing and and all that yeah i learned that uh CWAS could only go to dou or icu they can't go to metro or telly they they take all the CWAS. yeah okay. and do is a pretty hard unit yeah and, th and that's where it's been in a lot of places especially if you have to give somebody a lot of ativan or they have to potentially be under presidex drip well that's more icu so hmm. I can see that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. If they're on the drip and stuff, stuff like that, it's quick. Yeah, for sure, ICU and stuff. But even like their any CWA, like a stable CWA, is still, is still DOU. And you know, with every CWA, it's a little bit extra work because you got to make sure that the patient is doing good every two hours. Of course, you're doing your hourly rounding, uh, but with with CWA, is definitely um, a lot more things go into it, which is, which is strange that it just gets offloaded to to DOU. But you said that's like how it is everywhere because I know at staff, my staff job, we didn't, we had like a little DOU, you could say, but it was it was called different, but. Um, See, so I went to went to telly floors. They went to other other floors. They never necessarily went to a step down always. Yeah, I think it depends on how bad mm -hmm. the CO is. Where there was a CWA that's up on the floor, but if they're requiring more closer monitoring, the bed alarm keeps going mm -hmm. off. Now you got to put mittens on, or then you need a sitter. That's where they're gonna have. They're gonna go down the uh, the higher tertiary units for closer monitoring. Yeah, that makes sense. And you bring up the autonomy too. That's kind of why I like the ICU as well because you have. A list of PR and medication that you can almost give for every situation. And in my prior staff job, I really liked it because it was all heart failure, and you always had medic. Every patient had PRNs for pain, antihypertensives, and pressors. So it was always cool because I was ready for 
anything. And even um, there were also um, anatropes as well, PR and efficacy or something. So I literally had everything in my disposal and it was always me using my judgment on what I should start because you didn't necessarily have to call a physician to get orders because you had everything there. It's just now you have to be competent enough to use what you have. Yeah. And if you're not sure, then you could call. Because sometimes you're not sure if you should start an anatrope or not, you know? Because anatropes are, are kind of tricky because, you know, you don't just go off blood pressure. If it's high, you do this. If it's low, you do this. It's more more numbers involved. And we had swans, so, of course, you could take a look at the cardiac index, the cardiac output, the SVR, all, all that stuff. So you could technically, if you're competent enough, start your own anatropes. But a lot of nurses, like, even though they were right, they would still call just to make sure because it's still kind of always, always a fee. And the other side of the spectrum is you have those nurses. I talked to somebody two days ago where they don't have the confidence of working in these higher units and they don't want that autonomy. Mm-hmm. They just like the the sense of direction. So I understand yeah. that spectrum as well. We're just twice you nurses, a little bit biased. Uh, we love the autonomy. Mm-hmm. Another medication you should be familiar with and know the basics is insulin. Type 2 diabetes is on the rise. Everything's Every person is on AccuCheck's literally you should know some basics or maybe kind of understand the half-life effect of maybe when you should give insulin or make sure the food tray is there Mm -hmm. and things like that. What's interesting is the unit that we're working on currently is nights are doing the AccuChecks and still carving the insulin, which is due at um, 7.30. Sometimes we backtrack it to 7 so we give the med by 6 because you have to cover four patients. Mm -hmm. And you have to use your judgment on when you should give that let's just say NPH, which is usually given closer to meals. If the patient's insulin is uh, 180 or 200, or the AccuCheck, I should say, blood sugar, go ahead and give that insulin. And by the hour that you gave the insulin, the food tray is going to go there. But yesterday, for example, I had a case where the patient's blood sugar was 76. And I'm supposed to cover her with 22 units of NPH. So I just didn't trust that judgment that I should give the MPH, even though it's my responsibility to cover. I gave her a little bit of apple ju- juice, a couple sips, just to make sure the sugar doesn't drop and they don't have to do the hypoglycemia protocol. Mm-hmm. But I just gave it to the day shift nurse and told her, hey, I didn't feel comfortable giving her insulin. I'm not going to call a doctor about it. Just go ahead and order the food tray. Once the food tray is there, then just give the insulin. Mm-hmm. So just be familiar with insulin because it is a... It is a tricky substance, and it could potentially kill somebody with hypoglycemia when your patient doesn't wake up. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way on this protocol is because, like you said, at nights we have, like, the scheduled and a coverage. So, to be honest, I never give the scheduled insulin in the morning. I never do it. I just give the coverage because I give the coverage because they have a, because if they're hyperglycemic, I'm just covering their hyperglycemia. But they're scheduled that's given with meals. I'm always scared of doing that because technically I recover their, their insulin and the insulin that they're going to get that's scheduled, that's something to cover that you could say their food. And like, what if, in my back of my mind, I'm always like, what if I give them this insulin and they don't get a trade till, you know, 10 a.m. or it's just say something happens to their food and now they're waiting. So I'm always scared. So I always tell a nurse, I'm like, hey, I gave them coverage, but I didn't give them the schedule. Like once their food comes, you could just type in my, the same blood sugar that I have and give it, you don't got to recheck it, you just do do my blood sugar, but I'm not going to give them the schedule, I'm going to give them the coverage if they need it, not the schedule, because I'm like, I'm scared, because cause you just don't know, like, I, I leave, and technically, it's the nurse's responsibility now, you know, to take care of the patient, but I will feel like shit if I gave this guy coverage, and scheduled, and a known effect that something happened to him, because they traded income, he became hypoglycemic, even if, even if he didn't get hurt, even, 
even the fact that he became hyperglycemic and the nurse says, hey, I had to give him like two doses of, of, of D5, I would still be like, damn, that's my fault. So I never give the schedule. I only just give the, give the coverage. Yeah, so. unfortunately, it sucks when you're working on a unit that that's the responsibility mm-hmm. to give the scheduled and the sliding scale. Yeah. The second thing that every nurse uh, should know the basics of is giving a, a good report. So, of course, each unit is going to require different things. If you're working in a trauma unit or a burn unit, you're going to need to know diff- different aspects of report because they're going to look for several different things. Like a cardiac unit, you're going to look at a lot of numbers, a lot of cardiac indicators, BNP. Um, you could say their SVR, uh, cardiac index, cardiac output, their um, PAP pressures, all that kind of stuff. But there's there is like a general report that you should follow that kind of carry over carries over to to each unit. There's like a, there's like a standard that that's universal to all units, and then then it's your responsibility to kind of add on and figure out what else you need to do. But there's like a gold standard, and like the gold standard is always gonna start with room number the name of the patient, age, co-status, and allergies. Like that's like your fundamentals because if you don't tell somebody, if you don't tell the oncoming nurse that who the patient is, what the number is, what if you end up giving a wrong report and just like, oh, this is this is a, my patient. It doesn't cause any, cause any patient harm, but just like, okay, you just spent the last 10 minutes getting a report on a patient that you thought was yours, but, but it wasn't. Yeah, looking at this <clears throat> list that we have here, this is basically universal throughout all the units. And let's just say all the units bedside because I've had a report sheet when I started as a nurse and I've carried it on through all my travel nursing assignments and I still use it to this day, whether I'm giving a report in the ICU or on the med surge floors. Mm-hmm. It, it's standard. It's just a lot less bulky in specific aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could actually run through a quick report here. Mm-hmm. Of, like, let's just, I'm going to give you a... Um, patient scenario and how easy it is and it doesn't matter if john doe is in the icu or john doe is on the med search floor there's just a lot less information being given so for example john doe's in room 5105 he's 67 full code allergies to penicillin past medical history of hypertension type 2 diabetes cad and he had an episode of heart failure in the past he came in on 415 for heart failure you can give a few chain of events that happen. Chest tube was placed, um, you know, went in for uh, like a pick placement, uh, got intubated on March 25th, kind of that kind of stuff, just day by day kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and then what kind of planned procedures can we expect? You can give that, and then that kind of paints the big picture of what's happening to the patient. Now you could go to the review of systems. So you start with neuro, dementation, if they're alert and oriented, fever, pain, go down to respiratory. They could go anywhere from lung sounds are clear to diminished to having a vent or what size uh, trach tube, what kind of RAS score they have, how much O2 they're on. If you're going into cardiac, if they're on telefloor, we're going to do heart rhythms, the pulses. If they're edema, uh, you could talk about pressors in this uh, scenario if you're in the ICU and what kind of pressors they're on, what's happening with their blood pressure, and go from there. Uh, the next thing we could hit is GUGI. So if they have a PEG tube, do they have an NG tube in? When was their last bowel movement? Are their bowel sounds active? Now we go down to GU. Are they using a Purewick? Are they continent? Do they have the Foley? How's their urine output? You could bring in some lab value since you're talking about the renal system when it comes to the creatinine or BUN. And the last thing is going to be skin. Then are, are they on AccuChecks? I'm thinking about AccuChecks here because that's where I have it on my little list. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to go over lines and drains and drips. 
some important things as far as labs. Uh, anything else, baby drama, MPOA, whatever happens in that whole thing, and then you guys could just shoot shit, mm. whatever else is important. And that covers a patient no matter what unit you're on. Mm. Right, yeah, it's like the gold standard. If you guys want to like to see the list again, it's on couplenurse.com. Uh, this episode show notes just to like run through yourself because you know especially if you're floating you're not sure what you should talk about what you should say but if you get this basics down uh then this is like a very good view of what your patient is and the rest they'll ask you like hey uh what was his cardiac index what was his cardiac output um what are we doing how much fluids did he get so on and so forth but you at least told them the whole background information about the patient and how the patient is actually acting rest they'll ask you if, if they if they um if they need it and you're gonna go in, you're gonna get report or even give report to nurses that are gonna jump the gun and ask you a couple questions that are going to be in the standard practice and the review of systems so just like tell them that okay that's going to be there and just be respectful and draw that boundary where don't let the nurse just like step over you give report and then they could ask questions afterwards i feel like that's a lot more effective most of the time if not all the time the question that they're asking ahead of time it's going to be answered you're just not you're not allowing me to give report the way i'm trying to practice the way i enjoy it yeah that's super annoying that's super annoying if you're asking questions during report especially if you're asking a lot because it's just like hold on just like relax like i was here for 12 hours let me tell you what happened and then you could ask me any questions that you want because I'm, cause like you said a lot of times it's on your report but they're jumping the gun jumping ahead and and like what also bothers me sometimes a little bit it's just it's just like when a nurse says oh i don't need to know that like it's like okay cool but let me just give you the report my way because like i'm not giving a report to you forever i give reports to all these other nurses so i know you don't find it important but i'm going to tell you anyways so just like like listen and like there's no need for you to say that like oh it doesn't matter i don't care about that it's like i told you already <laughs> so it's just like why why are you saying that? like do you not want to know any any like do you want not want to know any other specific things that you want me to skip over like that that's that's like really it's like a little thing that's frustrating to me is when when nurse tells you oh, really you know that or i don't care it's just like all right like like cool like to carry on you know yeah another thing since we're talking about a report is also sbar which has a little bit to do with it because if you're calling a doctor know what information you got to pull from this report or from your patient to properly communicate with them. Uh, if it's a blood pressure issue, go ahead and grab a set of vitals, their heart rate, their blood pressure, maybe what fluids they're on, how many boluses they got if you're trying to troubleshoot that. If it's something with pain, write down maybe what their vital signs are again, based on what the doctor wants to prescribe, what kind of pain medications have been given, what's not working, why, how bad is the pain, where is it hurting? If it's a sedation thing, or if it's something with um, sedating the patient, you're on CWA. Just pull those events to paint the full picture. If it's something with respiratory, okay, hey, how are the lung sounds? X, Y, and Z, you get the point. Mm -hmm. But the physician is going to want to do that. And sometimes when a nurse is asking for things, they don't properly communicate that. Or they miss a lot of things out where it could just save the headache. Hey, mm -hmm. I'm calling about John Doe. I'm calling because he is hypertensive. I gave the PRN hydralazine, I gave the PRN tablet of whatever, metoprolol, it's still not working. These are the latest vital signs. Do you want me to order or do you want, do you want me to give anything else? Mm -hmm. And that paints a full scenario of what's going on versus patients hyper, hypertensive. 
I need something else. And mm-hmm. then he's going to ask you all these questions to fill in the blank that you could have already answered with a proper S-bar. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up S-bar because that's, that's super, super important. Very similar to like giving a report to a nurse, but a lot, lot less info and very specific. Uh, the third thing every nurse should know is, kind of how, is how to act in emergency situations. You don't have to know like the full ACLs protocol. A lot of units just... I have standardized the BLS, and it's kind of all you need to know before the code team gets gets to you or rapid team. But it's still always good to know his protocols, just so you could, you can help out uh, because the RRT might be like I said might be busy, um, or there might not be enough rapid response nurses with you to do all these you could say these tasks that need to be done. So it's always or the code team, for example, or so it's always good to kind of know this kind of stuff. And if you're going to know. Like one major one is even though you're not required to know the ACLS protocol in your unit, it's still something that you should look into because no matter what unit you're, you're going to work on, you're going to have somebody code at least some point um, in, in, your, in your life. And you might just be doing CPR, but sometimes, uh, like I said, the code team might be short and you might need to help push meds. So it's also good to understand, well, technically you wouldn't be pushing meds if you're not ACL certified, but yeah. you'd still want to know um, like what they're doing and why, so you could be of some kind of a help, not just being like the uh, just person standing in the room and clueless about kind of what to do. So I'm just gonna go over the ACLs protocol, just like real quick to touch upon. You don't gotta know like the specifics or anything, or anything like that. Be- and what? before you go into the the ACLs p- protocol, something that every nurse should be thinking about or doing when it comes to critically assessing their patient in a emergency situation is just know your ABCs. Mm. Airway, breathing, and circulation. You can start with those and see how they're doing to prevent things from going into a emergency situation where they might code. How is their airway? Mm. Are they having trouble breathing? Do you have to maybe boost them up in bed? Maybe you have to raise their bed a little bit higher. Maybe you have to supplement them with oxygen. How is their breathing? Are they agonally breathing? Maybe you have to bag them. Start thinking about things so before the code team comes and, and shit's being handled by the ICU nurse or the, the resident, whoever, you're already kind of troubleshooting things like low oxygen, mm-hmm. slap on some oxygen, or you can you know grab the the bag mask and start preparing it if you already see this patient agonally breathing, something's going on. Or if they said, you know, if it's a circulatory issue, they feel chest pain, maybe you already could start the process and get the 12 lead just so we're not delaying anything. So ABCs are important to think about. Yeah, like I'm glad you brought, I'm glad you brought it up because like in theory, you're doing like a quick assessment. Um, like you said, neuro, respiratory, cardiac, all that kind of stuff, like real quickly all at once. So then when a cold team comes in, you could be like, hey, no pupils or whatever. There's a pulse, but... Or there's a heart rate in the 160s and there is a there is a pulse. Or it could be heart rate in the 160s, it's picking up on a monitor, but there's no pulse because there's something at like PA, pulse electrical activity, where it's still showing stuff, but there's really nothing nothing going yeah. on. And and I get it. Like the beginning nurse is starting off or you already might be experienced. Like sometimes you get into like, you know, that fuss where you're just not thinking about everything. You blank out. You can't even give report to anybody because you just keep blanking out on what's going on with this patient. I totally was there, mm. and I get it, and it gets easier, but just think about the basics, and hopefully the patient makes it through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> most, of, most of the time, it's it works out. So like a quick ACLS. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's just like two different scenarios. So um, patient is basically in cardiac arrest. You want to for sure start CPR regardless. Then you also want to take into consideration the second thing, and this is like the major thing, is, is a shockable rhythm. So your shockable rhythms are going to be your V-fib and um, VTAC, your pulses VTAC, and then, 
or sorry, V-tag with a pulse, and then asystole and PEA are your non-shockable rhythms. So if they're in asystole and PEA, you're going to keep doing CPR and push epi. That's all, you're, that's all you're going to be doing. And if you're in a shockable rhythm, you're going to be doing CPR, but you're going to want to shock them at some point and also give, give epi because that's what's going to help with the most is that, is that shock, not necessarily the, the CPR. The CPR is helping them, of course. You're getting some amount of cardiac output, but you got to shock them out of whatever rhythm uh, they are. So that's like two major things to to consider uh, with the ACLS um, a protocol. You don't gotta memorize the whole thing if you're on the floor, but just remember those difference between your shockable rhythms and not shockable rhythms. And if they are shockable, you're shocking CPR and epi. And if you're not shocking, you're just giving CPR and epi, and hopefully the patient is gonna is gonna come back. Yeah, because sometimes it takes like three four minutes before the code team already gets there. If you're already starting CPR you know that there's no pulse, mm. you guys can go ahead and grab the freaking epi from the crash cart and push it. Right. I hope your hospital allows that to happen. And since we're talking about somebody coding, what I, what I always do on all my shifts is just make sure your line is actually working. Yeah. So IV access is a big thing. Even if the flush isn't due, I don't care what unit I'm on. Beginning of my shift, I have a bunch of flushes in my hand and I'm flushing every single IV a lot of times I run into something that there's already a painful IV site. I got to pull it. It's leaking because it hasn't been flushed a couple of times. I don't know why this doesn't happen, mm. but I like to get into the habit. And I think nurses should to always make sure you have proper IV access mm. because you don't want to be flushing the IV during this emergency situation and your IV is blown to begin with a couple hours ago. Now you can't push critical care meds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like if you could, if you don't know what to do in an emergency situation, the best thing you, you could do is probably start an IV. Even if the patient has two and you're waiting for the, you know, someone's doing CPR, you don't got to, you just stand, don't stand there. Just maybe put a third one in because like Matt said, they blow. And a lot of times, you know, during an emergency situation, your body's going through like this giant stress. And sometimes your IV is just randomly blow when you flush it. Or sometimes during a whole situation or cardiac arrest, they just pop out of the vein or they pop through the vein and it's not be able, being able to be used anymore. So... IVs are super, super important because you can't give them these critical meds if you don't have an IV. But I just want to clarify just real quick. Um, the shock rhythms are pulses, VTAC, and VFib, and the non-shock rhythms are asystole and, and PEA. So I'm not sure what I said in the beginning now. I can't, I can't recall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just trusted you that you knew it, so I was just going along with it. <laughs> I just want to make sure <laughs> I didn't right even G-check you, bro. Yeah. I just want to make next sure. Time, yeah. Next time, next time. I said one, then I said the other. So I don't want to confuse anybody. So pulses, VTAC, and VFib are shockable. And then PEA and assistively are non-shockable. Yeah. Another good one to kind of keep in mind is the bradycardia protocol. Uh, that has a pretty, uh, you could say, quick and easy, easy solution. Um, things to take into consideration before you start to get super freaked out. Um, how low is the patient's heart rate? Um, is the patient sleeping? Because naturally when you're asleep, if you're patient naturally is like low 60s heart rate like 62 and then when he goes to bed he's going bradycardic so like 55 56 58 54 that might be normal for him so don't start freaking out and you know waking him up every two hours because you hear the alarm ding uh like kind of go through the chart or maybe he has a low heart rate but he's hypertensive so you gave him a toprolol and now he's like 48s 46s which which is pretty low but go check on them print the strip do you see like if they're on telly print the strip do you see is it look like he's going into heart block like or is he just bradycardic like that that's a common side effect of a metoprolol if you get metoprolol so keep in mind mind of that and if you're always nervous about the heart rate slap on some oxygen 
Like it's it's actually always helps just in case because your heart is pumping slowly. Technically, um, your cardiac output is less, so your organs are getting less oxygen. So you could just throw on two liters. Worst case, if you know what to do, start an IV and throw on some oxygen. Yeah, know? and the other things after that is giving some atropine. There's if they are symptomatic, we might be doing some transcutaneous pacing on the patient. Mm. Another one is tachycardia, which happens often in a lot of situations, especially if the patient is depleted. But tachycardia is here specifically above 150. The patient might feel like they have a burden in their chest if they're like an AFib or RVR. But if they're in these tachy, tachy rhythms, we could potentially try the vagal maneuver and see how they do. Mm. Uh, we could try putting them on some oxygen if they need to. Uh, go ahead and check a quick set of vitals if they're hypotensive. Hopefully, you could just program like a bolus in the pump and you're already troubleshooting and giving fluids before uh, you're calling an RRT or somebody comes. Um, sometimes in these scenarios, if they're symptomatic, we if it's like SVT, we might do some adenosine, which is a medication that you the heart stops beating for a couple seconds to reset the electrical system. And if not, we might be doing some uh, synchronized cardio version if it's just like a tacky rhythm that we can't get down so uh, those are some basics when it comes to tachycardia and svt and hopefully the the qrs isn't too winded winded widened where it's widened yes widened where you might be going into like some vtac where you're checking a pulse to make sure Mm. things don't escalate yeah did you mention 12 lead no 12 would also be a a good thing to to show because you could only see so much on the, on the monitor, EKG is, is a lot better to see what's actually going on. Is an SVT, is a VTAC, um, you know, maybe you're looking at AFib RVR, but you think it's VTAC, you just don't know. No, no, like I said, a vagal maneuver is number one thing, adenosine, beta blockers, maybe calcium channel blockers. Um, it's usually what's, what's, what's prescribed. Yeah. yeah, and if you can't remember those and you're not very ACLS, just stick to the ABCs and see how they're doing. And assess them and go from there. So yeah. usually in the hospital, there's a lot of great resources, a lot of great uh, team members. Hopefully a nurse could come in and give you some pointers or give you some quick advice where you're blanking out because you're in fight or flight or the charge nurse is going to come in and everything's going to work out. Or if you're thinking any cardiac related issue, IV, like Matt said, and EKG. Because uh, chest pain, you're not sure if it's, is a patient having a STEMI? Is it an NSTEMI? Is it just angina with, with like an idiopathic cause because they might be having chest pain but the monitor much of sinus rhythm and uh your ekg could be sinus rhythm so you can kind of rule out things where's this chest pain coming from is it, is it something else so it's like anything chest related heart related rhythm related best thing you could do is iv and an ekg i think this is a very good episode it's like the the one-on-one basics mm. of what every nurse should know if you could get down your meds report and know what to do in emergent situations you already are ahead of the crowd as yeah. far as nursing and being critical and just providing great patient care. Yeah, because that this literally sets you up for, for full success because medication, what do you do during your shift? You pass medications, right? So I, that's half. That's a third of your shift. Um, what are you doing after your shift done or before your shift? You're getting reports. So if you get that done, great. Now you have the beginning and the, and the end of your shift covered. And then the emergence, see stuff. If you get some of those down, well, guess what? That time where something hits the fan, you're kind of covered already. I'm kind of laughing. We should... I'm not here to educate people on how to chart, but charting is a definitely big yeah. part of our nursing career. 
get your charting down right so management's not hitting you up. But I think your hospital policy and providers can help you on how to do the EMR there. Yeah, for, for sure. I'll, I'll leave that to the unit educators. You know, they, they, they get paid for that. They can take care yeah, of that. I'm not going to tell you to go try your Q4 pains and make sure you do your vitals Q4 and make sure you do your Q2 turns because mm-hmm. if that patient, if that's not charted, you didn't turn that patient. Mm-hmm. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. Yeah. And that's a pretty, pretty good summary. I feel like we, we hit it. We hit the nail on the head with this one. Solid episode, like always. If you guys find value in this podcast, enjoy the content, share it with people, go ahead and hit us and give us the five stars. And ultimately, thank you for your time. For those that listen, see you on the next one. Have a great day. Peace out.